Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. This morning, we are going to be continuing or returning to our teaching series that we began sometime back in 2023 in the Gospel of Luke. And this is a gospel that we want to get into so that, so that we can get, let's say, face-to-face with Jesus. We want to see, well, we've already seen his birth, and we want to look at his life. We want to look and study his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And today, as we are returning to the, the book of Luke, we are going to be in Luke chapter 2 and be looking at verses 41 through 52, when Jesus was a a boy. And so if you're able to stand, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 2, verses 41 through 52. The word of God says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year, At the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, They returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why? Why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And Jesus said to them, Why? Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And verse 52 says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Let's pray together. Father, as we come together today in your name, as your people, in the name of Jesus, we are asking you again to help us. I want to ask you just specifically to help us to listen this morning and to pay attention to your word. I ask that you would help us to grow in our knowledge and our understanding of who Jesus truly is, that we may truly worship you through him and serve you in spirit and in truth. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, you know, as I've been studying uh, the Gospel of Luke, if there is one question that Luke seeks to answer in this Gospel, it is a very simple question and yet a profound question. It is, who is Jesus? 
That is the question that, that he is seeking to answer, and that is one of the most important questions that we all must answer for our, for our own lives. And if you'll remember, at the beginning, when we started this teaching series, at the beginning of Luke, Luke is informing a reader by the name of Theophilus that, that he had personally met with individuals who were eyewitnesses to the ministry and to the life of Jesus. And Luke took these testimonies, and he said that he wrote them down in an orderly fashion so that we may have certainty about the things we have been taught about Jesus. In other words, Luke wants to make sure that his readers confidently know who Jesus really is. And in the first two chapters of the book of Luke, you'll remember that Luke has already recorded the miraculous events surrounding the birth of Jesus. And today we have come to a very rare view into the life of Jesus during his adolescent years. And actually, this is the only view, the only recorded account in our Bibles of Jesus between his birth and his adult ministry that he began when he was about 30 years old. And if you're like me, you probably want more. Wouldn't you like to know more about Jesus when he was a child? Just some stories about him. And uh, just to be clear, there are uh, extra biblical texts that scholars would say were written 100 plus years after the life of Christ that surfaced in the second century. And these are texts that were rejected by the early church as being fraudulent legends about the childhood of Jesus for various reasons. I'm going to read an excerpt from one of them, the Infancy Gospel of Thomas, and let you be the judge of whether or not you think that this should have been put in our Bibles. When this boy Jesus was five years old, he was playing at the ford of a brook, and he gathered together into pools the water that flowed by and made it at once clean and commanded it by his word alone. But the son of Annas, the scribe, was standing there with Joseph, and he took a branch of a willow and with it dispersed the water which Jesus had gathered together. So there's an, uh, Jesus makes these brooks in the, in, in the river, and they get clear, and one of his friends takes a stick and like, opens it up so that the water can come out of it. When Jesus saw what he had done, he was enraged and said to him, You insolent, godless dunderhead. What harm did the pools and the waters do to you? See now you shall wither like a tree and shall bear neither leaves nor root nor fruit. And immediately that lad withered up completely and Jesus departed and went into Joseph's house. That's one account. And then in another account, there's a boy that runs by him as a child and accidentally bumps into him And Jesus, in anger, pronounces a curse upon the lad, and immediately the boy dies. Moral of the story, don't mess with Jesus. right? Do not mess with Jesus, or he will destroy you. And, you know, when we're asking the question, who is Jesus, we must ask, is that Jesus that I just read about? Writings like this present a a child, um, a child Jesus as a kid that you... Ladies, you would not want in reach kids, would you? Um, a holy terror who, instead of coming to be the savior of the world, is a ruthless 
and for a lack of a better word, hellion, who obliterates anyone who opposes or ticks him off, which we know is contrary to the Jesus that is revealed all throughout Scripture, the God that is revealed from the Old Testament through the New Testament. And at his first coming, we know that Jesus, when, at his first, when he first came to earth, he did not come to bring wrath. He did not come to bring judgment. But he came to offer terms of peace and forgiveness to all who will receive him as Lord and Savior. That is one of the reasons that I would reject these types of writings about Jesus as a child. And it's also one of the reasons that this account of Jesus that's found in Luke rings with authenticity. It aligns with the Jesus of the Bible who is marked by humility and approachability. And as we just read, Jesus is 12 years old, and this would have been what is known as the age of discernment. It's the final year of Jesus' childhood in his year of preparation before he would enter into what is called the Jewish manhood. That's at the age of 13. And at this time, a 13-year-old boy was held responsible for keeping the law, for handling the word of God. And as was their custom, Jesus and his family uh, have traveled to Jerusalem as they did, it sounds like, all the time each year uh, to celebrate the Passover, which lasted about eight days. And if you'll remember, the Passover was commemorated. Um, it's a feast that commemorated God's deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egyptian slavery. And remember that on the night of their deliverance, each Jew selected a perfect and spotless lamb, a Passover lamb, and they sacrificed it. And one of the things that they did with that lamb was they took its blood and they smeared the blood on the doorposts of their home. And God said that, says this in Exodus 12, 13. He says, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And I love this. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. In other words, death will not touch that home. And I wonder, you know, as I was studying this passage, I've wondered, I wonder if at this point, if Jesus realized that the Passover feast was about him, that he would be the Passover lamb. It, it doesn't say in this text, and I don't believe that he always knew that. He had to grow into that, but I wonder at this point if he knew that. Well, we don't know from our text about that, but we do know that it appears that everything went well uh, at the Passover feast until it comes time to pack up and go home. Just Have you ever been on vacation and you enjoy your time and you're always dreading that time when you have to pack up and go home? Well, they pack up and they head home. And for some reason, and it doesn't say in the text, for some reason Jesus decides he's going to stay behind without letting his parents know this. Young people, don't do that. Not that you ever would, Jude, but never stay behind and not let your parents know where you're at. So they, they don't realize that he is not with them and this is, this is what amazes me. They've gone an entire day, day's journey, before they realize, hey, wait, Jesus is not with us. Now, how many of you parents have ever lost your child? I, I have, okay? I lost my child at Bell Share one time years ago. Such a terror 
to, to lose a child. And, and I know a, a couple or a family who had eight children, and they left one of them at Costco. They didn't realize it until they got home, and the reason they didn't realize it is because they had two vehicles, and one, one parent thought that the other parent had the child. At least that's, that's their story. And, you know, you might be wondering, well, how could Joseph and Mary go an entire day before they realized that Jesus was not with them? And, well, as was their custom back in those days, for fellowship and for safety reasons, families and friends, when they were traveling, they would travel together in caravan, caravans, and the women and the children would be at the front of the caravan, and the men and the young men would be bringing up the rear. And so it is very possible, you know, we, I believe that Jesus was a very reasonable and responsible young man at this time. And it's very possible that Mary thought, assumed, that Jesus would obviously be back with Joseph. And Joseph thought, well, he's probably up there with Mary. And, but at the end of the day, somehow that things slow down and they get together. And Mary's like, where's Jesus? And what would Joseph say? I thought he was with you, right? Something like that. And so they realize that they're, they haven't seen him, that he's not among the relatives and friends, and they make haste. They make a beeline and go back to Jerusalem in search of Jesus. Verse 46 says this. After three days, three days. So when it says three days, it may, it's probably meaning the day that they traveled and then the day that it took them to get back, and then they searched a day in Jerusalem. But after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, during this time, many distinguished scholars and theologians would have come to Jerusalem for the Passover, and they, then they would have just stayed over and hung out to be together and to gather to discuss and to debate theological topics. And Mary and Joseph find Jesus right in the middle of these teachers. The boy, Jesus, he's listening, he's asking questions, he's answering questions, he's soaking everything in, but he's also giving knowledge out. And verse 47 says, And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and at his answers. Now, does anything strike you kind of strange in that? It, it, it does me, if I don't think about it right, think about Jesus rightly. But let me ask you this. Why do you think that Jesus was asking questions as a pupil, as a student, and at the same time amazing them with his understanding? He's both teachable and a teacher. And I, I believe that the, they're asking this, that basic question, who is this boy? Who is Jesus? Well, in order for us to answer that question, we're going to need to wade a little bit into one of the greatest mysteries and one of the most central doctrines of the Christian faith known as the doctrine of the incarnation. The doctrine of the incarnation. Now, the word incarnation simply means the act of being made flesh. And so the doctrine of the incarnation teaches that the eternal Son of God at some point in history, took on flesh. That is, he added humanity to his deity. In other words, Jesus became the God-man. And what I want to do is show you how in the book of Luke, how he addresses both Jesus' humanity and his deity in the passage that we are in. And so if you're taking notes, 
Um, it's very simple outline today. The first thing you can write down is that Jesus is fully human. We're going to look at his humanity first this morning. And, you know, if you were to ask the teachers that were in the temple that day, uh, who is Jesus? Who do you think this, this is? They would have said that he is a human child prodigy, that he is a boy wonder, a boy genius. They would have seen him as a human And and that's because uh, Jesus was not appearing to be human. He was real, genuine human being. Just just like you and me, except without sin. And And I think that sometimes we can forget. We know this, but I think we don't really know it. We can forget that Jesus is human, that he was human in his in in this uh when he came to earth. And he still is. But We need to understand that Jesus was not born knowing everything. When Mary laid baby Jesus in the manger, Jesus didn't go, thank you. I'll be here if you need me. Okay, he didn't. He was a baby, just like we all were. That means that Jesus had to learn how to crawl and then how to walk and then how to run. He had to learn how to talk and to read and to write. He had to, to, to learn about community. He had to grow and develop, just like we all have had to grow and develop. That's why it says in verse 52 in our text, it says, and Jesus increased. Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature in favor with God and man. Jesus right here, I mean, um, Luke is speaking right here of Jesus's humanity. God doesn't increase in anything. He's speaking, he's pointing out his humanity. And what's interesting to me is that at this time, the boy Jesus is being welcomed by the Jewish leaders. But that is all going to change in about 18 years. Actually, next chapter over, we're going to get into his adult ministry. And Jesus is going to return to this same temple, and he's going to begin cleansing it. And the very ones who are amazed at him right now as a child, because he's not a threat, will become enraged with him. And eventually they will seek to put him to death. Right now they're seeing him as being fully human, and he is. But, and this is the second gospel truth I want you to write down. Jesus is not only just human, Jesus is fully God. And these teachers and leaders, and even Mary and Joseph, don't really realize who Jesus is at this point. The only one in this narrative who understands who Jesus is, is Jesus. And and we know this because when Mary and Joseph finally find him in the temple, Mary says, look at verse 48, she says, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father, she's speaking about Joseph, obviously, here. Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And, you know, just like any good parent, any good mom, she's concerned about the safety of her son. But Jesus' reply reveals that she didn't have to be so concerned about him. Verse 49, and Jesus said to them, why? Why were you looking for me? In other words, mom, why why were you so anxious? 
don't you, don't you remember who I am? Have you, have you forgotten all that God has showed you about me up to this point? Have you forgotten about the angels, the virgin birth, the shepherds and the wise men who visited me when I was an infant, the prophecies of Simeon and Anna? Have you forgotten who I am? You didn't need to be worried about me. And then he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, he's obviously not talking about Joseph's house back in Nazareth. This is a turning point in Luke's narrative. And this is the first time that in Scripture that someone claims that God is his personal father. And this is pretty significant because most of us in here who are disciples of Jesus refer to God as our father. We pray to him as father. And the reason that we do that is because Jesus is the first one who did it, and he taught us to do that. And, you know, back then the Jews saw God as the father of the nation of Israel, but no Jew in their right mind would dare to address God as their personal father. And yet Jesus does this all throughout the Gospels, referring to God as his father. In John 5.18 Because he's doing this, the Jews want to put him to death. It says, because he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That's the declaration Jesus is making here. And so when when Jesus makes this statement, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He's declaring two things. Number one, he's declaring that he recognizes now his unique sonship to God that his full allegiance is with his heavenly father, even above his parents. And secondly, he's claiming equality with God. He is declaring his deity. And you know, when we talk about the deity of Christ, uh, I want to briefly mention the Trinity because the word of God reveals that there is one God a monotheistic God, one God, not polytheistic, not many gods, but one God who eternally exists. He wasn't created, and he eternally exists as three distinct persons. And one of the clearest places that we see this is in Matthew 28 when Jesus is teaching his disciples how to baptize new disciples. He says, baptize them, what, in the name of the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them into the name of God is what Jesus is teaching there. Now, I want to show you a diagram. Uh, It's already up there. I want to show you a diagram up here that expresses truths. Now, this is not a picture of God. I don't want you to think that God is a triangle or or anything like this. This is just a diagram that helps us to understand the truths about the Trinity. And you'll notice that there are three corners here with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there are connectors here that the Father is not the Son. We need to understand this. The Father did not get inside of Jesus and die on the cross. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father, and it goes back the other direction. That's one thing we need to understand. And notice in the middle here is God with connectors that says the Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. 
That's the divine nature. They share the divine nature of God. Each, what I want to point out here is that each is distinct in person, and yet each is fully God. Three persons and one divine nature. So Jesus has this divine nature from all eternity. And I share this because when he comes, when it comes to the incarnation, Jesus now has two natures. The divine nature that he has always had, and then he has the human nature, just like ours, except without sin. And it's important to understand that the divine nature and the human nature do not come together and mix in order to create a new being. If that was the case, then Jesus would no longer be God or man. He would be something else other than God and man. He is one person who continues to be fully a member of the Godhead and fully a member of humanity. One distinct person with two distinct natures. That's why we call him the God-man. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, my head is hurting right now, right? This, is, this may be difficult to understand to some, de- to some degree. Maybe you're sitting there going, don't give me doctrine, just preach Jesus to me. That's what I'm doing, right? That's what we're, we're digging a little bit deeper into the person of Jesus. And you might be thinking, I don't understand what you just shared or how much do I have to understand to be saved? And when, if you say, I, I, I don't understand, I'm going to say, that's okay. There is nobody who fully grasps the concepts of what I just taught, except for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We are finite beings trying to understand infinite things about God. And even in verse 50, it says that Mary and Joseph did not understand the saying that Jesus spoke to them when he said that I have to be in my father's house. But I want to encourage you that just because you don't understand something doesn't mean you don't need to to think about it anymore or try to understand or go deeper. Because in verse 51, it says that, that his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. She didn't understand what was going on, but she wanted to. And she thought about it. She meditated on that. And so should we as we seek to grow in our understanding of who Jesus is. And you know, of all the things that I don't understand about the incarnation, there's one thing that I'm beginning to understand, or I understand to some degree, and that is why the eternal Son of God took on flesh. That's something to really think about. Why did he take on flesh? He wasn't lonely. He didn't need friends. The reason that he took on flesh, one of the reasons was so that he could be the perfect substitute to die for the sins of his people. And you know, the word of God is, is very clear that all of us, that all humanity has willingly disobeyed God. It's called sin. We've we've willingly sinned against God. God did not make us do that. He gave us the freedom 
the choice to. And we have all sinned against God. And the word of God is also very clear that the wages of our sin, the, the payment of our sin, what we uh, have, uh, should deserve because of our sin is death. And there's, what's wonderful about God is he's given us two options. Now, he didn't have to, but he's given us two options. Number one, option number one is this, is that we can pay for our own sin. We can pay the, the debt for our sin, which means that we will have to be separated from God for eternity in a place that Jesus, Jesus himself calls hell. Jesus says there is a hell. And Jesus says, listen, you don't want to go there. That's option number one. Pay for your sins yourself. But praise God, he gave us option number two. And that is we can find someone, someone else, who is worthy and willing to pay for our sin, to pay the debt we owe. But they would have to be human and perfect to pay for our sin and in order for them to pay for the sins of the entire world, they would have to be God. Who is worthy? Who is willing to do this? Only God could do this. But he had to become or take on humanity in order to do this. And earlier this morning we sang, is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? And the good news is yes. Yes, there is one and only one who is not just worthy, and he is worthy, but he also was willing. Jesus, the God-man, who because he lived a perfect life, a sinless life as a human being, he can be the perfect sinless, spotless Passover lamb for all who receive him and place their trust in him, put their faith in his blood that he shed for us on the cross. And because when we do, God the Father says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and you will not experience death, but find eternal life in Jesus. Amen. Pastor Terry is going to come now and we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper.